G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the Car Expert Podcast. We've got a bit of a different show this week, Jade's away, so we've got Jack Quick back on the couch, he's filling in. How are you, Jack? Hello, I'm good, thanks, Sean. Thank you for having me yet again and hello to everyone at home. Yeah, and Quick uh, question, actually. Sorry, I know you're well, trying Scott's to introduce here, so anyway, yeah. Hello, already interrupting, Sean. <laughs> do you get out of the right lane after you've overtaken someone or are you like Jade and do you hover in the right lane? I get out of that right lane as soon as I can. I am very diligent when it comes to that. I hate when people do that, so <laughs> I try my best to not. Either a good driver or watched our previous podcast. Yeah. I think, let's go with he watched the previous yes, one. Yes, exactly. And he's a good driver, he did both, and so should you. Uh, before we jump in, I actually, uh, I just want to give a shout out. A couple of weeks ago, we put a call out uh, about if anyone could do the math on how much fuel you could get if you bought a Nissan Patrol over a Land Cruiser 300 series. Bailey Young on YouTube came to our rescue with these stats. $40,000 could buy you 20,618 litres of fuel. It's enough to get your XR8 home. It's just about. Uh, and that could drive the Patrol around 143,000 kilometres, based on the average fuel price of $1.94 from August 2023. And then Ali on YouTube jumped in to add a little bit extra to say, that 143,000 kilometres is the equivalent to driving around Australia about 10 times. Now, I'm, I'm no great mathematician. That is incredible math. That is amazing. That is really, really useful. <laughs> and that was quick. They came back with a response yeah. really quickly so on that's, that. So that's deeply impressive. Thank you very much because for that. But even if you had a caravan on the back, maybe you're a bit of a lead foot and the fuel consumption isn't quite at the average, that is a lot of petrol you can buy by going for a patrol instead of a cruiser and you're less likely to have to wait. And look... I don't know how many people want to drive around Australia 10 times. Mm -hmm. Certainly let's not say you continuously. Do it, let's just say you do it five times. You've still got a 20 grand to spend on nice hotels and yeah. treats. And then someone else actually pointed out, and I, I didn't note down their name, so I apologize to you uh, if you're watching. Um, that doesn't take into account the equivalent amount of fuel you would use in the Land Cruiser either. So, oh, that's really true. Yeah. yeah, because that just gets you to the purchase price of the Land Cruiser. It doesn't include the diesel, yeah. which is cheaper at the moment, but can be more expensive than petrol. Or the four-year wait for a late cruiser. So <laughs> there's that as well. <laughs> so let's dive straight into it. Uh, a bit of news out of Sweden slash China this week. Uh, Volvo have announced that they're going to stop making diesel vehicles uh, in their passenger cars. Obviously, they're still going to make diesel trucks. That would be silly. Uh, but uh, the diesel passenger cars are going to stop altogether. And um, I think this is starting to become a bit of a trend because we saw uh, Hyundai used to have a pretty popular i30 diesel. It did sound like a truck, but... <laughs> <laughs> they dropped that a few years ago. Uh, Volkswagen don't sell a diesel Golf in Australia anymore. So it seems like more and more passenger cars are moving away. And um, Scott, I think you actually wrote a bit of the story on this one. Yeah, so Volvo is a bit ahead of the curve on this front. It's actually announced it's going fully electric worldwide by 2030. And in Australia, it's going to be sooner than that. So it's no great surprise. But we are seeing more brands move away from diesel because I think the reputation's taken a big hit on the back of Dieselgate in Europe. Uh, Volkswagen for a very long time touted it as the answer or the, you know, the future. And when that name was really heavily tarnished, brands don't want to be associated with that. But also we're seeing in some classes of car, modern petrol engines are just as efficient as diesels on the highway and are nicer to drive in the city. With that said, I don't know that I want a petrol in everything. In my big four wheel drives, I still, I still want a diesel engine because they're relaxed and talky. Mm. I know I feel that way about the Sportage in particular. I'm not a huge fan of any of those petrol engines, especially that turbocharged engine. I know that's mainly transmission related, just with the dual clutch, but I love, as Scott said just then, that effortless highway cruising in a diesel engine and even more so in European mm. SUVs as well. I think it's also worth mentioning that in Australia where our fuel isn't all that incredible, the quality of it, a modern diesel engine, depending on the exhaust treatment and that sort of thing, 
is potentially as clean as an older petrol engine because the quality of our diesel fuel is quite good. The quality of our 91 Ron petrol is not great. Mm. So it's obviously car dependent, but a modern European diesel with exhaust treatment and that sort of thing is potentially cleaner than an old petrol engine car, despite diesel being seen as the dirty fuel. I think the thing to keep in mind, the Utes are going to keep using diesel, obviously. Um, large SUVs are probably going to keep using diesel. The reason that Hyundai and Volkswagen stopped doing it because people that buy those cars are not doing big miles in Australia, uh, unlike Europe where they might be on autobahns. And I think that's probably the same with a lot of Volvos. You know, you go out to the bush, you don't see a lot of Volvos on the... You see a lot of old Volvos on the road, but, <laughs> you know, you're not seeing uh, brand-new XC60s and stuff uh, frequenting the, the rural highways. So I guess it uh, makes a lot of sense that city buyers don't really need diesel, do they? Well, I think hybrid is also a big part of that answer. I mean, if you look at a Volkswagen Polo or a Mazda 2 or something like that, for a little while you could get a diesel. I know in the Mazda CX-3 you could up until very recently. But in a lot of those cars now, the diesel engine that was the efficient option has been replaced by a hybrid or a mild hybrid, which is much nicer to drive, doesn't sound like a truck when you turn it on and offers some extra performance when you put your foot down. So Toyota has really led that charge. But for cars that are living mostly in the city and are smaller, all of a sudden there's an alternative to diesel that is going to save people money at the pump, has some real environmental credibility for the brands. Whether or not that is deserved is another question. Um, and, yeah, potentially going forward is going to offer better resale than diesel as it gets phased out. Mm. What do you think, Jack? What, do, you th do you think this is going to affect, especially, you know, rural buyers potentially, you think this is a problem for them or you think a lot of rural buyers are looking at petrol cars now anyway? Yeah, well, I think of my, my mum in particular. Um, she purchased a CHR um, back in 2017 and she wasn't worried about whether it was petrol, diesel and things like that. But I do also have a lot of friends that do some serious case and they're looking at things like like diesel Santa Fe's and the like so just for context Jack you grew up on a farm I did yes, yes. if you didn't know <laughs> and if I haven't told you already you know now yes we asked him to take his Cooper off for this one but he normally wears <laughs> one around the office um, it's kind of funny this story actually came out uh, and the same day the British Prime Minister is came out saying that he wants to push back the petrol ban. So initially, uh, Boris uh, Johnson, the previous Prime Minister, um, hashtag Brexit, he, he put in a ban of petrol cars in London by 2030. Uh, and now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were practicing this before. I was, the I was. Uh, Rishi Sunak. I think Rishi Sunak, but Rishi very close, Sunak, yeah. um, He's trying to delay it. Uh, again, I think you wrote the story on <laughs> this did, one, Scott. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it's now come out that this is going to happen. It's been officially reported. Official. Yes, mm -hmm. um, and this is on the back of the UK pushing back a number of its climate policies, not just to do with cars. Uh, it's still planning to phase them out, but it's looking like 2035 now instead of 2030, which will align the UK with Europe, ironically enough, when you mentioned Brexit. Um, I think the fear from the government and also from car makers before these bans came in is that it's going to punish lower income earners. If you start removing really cheap petrol and diesel options and there's no electric replacement all of a sudden people hold onto cars for longer, they're in less safe cars, and potentially they're emitting more because their 10-year-old car is much dirtier than a new one. I think also uh, that there is a fear that maybe the, uh, maybe the charging network's not gonna be ready. This is pure speculation, but Boris Johnson made some big claims about how much they were gonna spend on charging infrastructure and how many charges they were gonna have, and whether or not that's gonna be borne out remains to be seen. I think for me, I'm going to look from a, a different different perspective, and I suppose I'm kind of looking from the bad guys' perspective. But like the manufacturers, if the if this target is continually moving and they're 
say, for example, I know that you align, uh, said that this UK is now aligning with the EU, but if it goes beyond 20, 2035 and the car makers were planning to only have EVs by that stage, they've spent all of this money developing and ramping up these production plants and I, th I suppose, in a sense, that cost is going to be passed back onto us mm. as consumers, which is unfortunate if that is the case. It's really interesting, Jaguar, which is probably the first brand that comes to my mind when I think of British car brands, even though it doesn't sell in huge numbers in Australia. Or it's not owned by the British anymore. Either. Well, there's that as well. Yeah, it's owned by Tata. <laughs> um, Jaguar has announced that it's going fully electric. It started phasing out its petrol new cars, the F-Type's going. I wonder if it would have phased that out as soon as it is, had it known 2035 was the time in the UK instead of 2030. Maybe it would have, but... I mean, the development cycle in a car is generally seven to 10 years, so they're just, they're looking at that sort of timeline anyway, I'd imagine. But it is, the decisions governments make do have an impact on car makers. We've seen it in Australia with the slow rollout of electric cars and then now in Europe with it planning to ban petrol and diesel sales, car makers are going, well, we're gonna have to stop selling them and start developing electric cars. I wonder if maybe that decision in the UK did impact the timeline that was set by British car makers and whether there's some frustration there that now those goalposts have moved, but they've already started pouring money into it. So where does it leave us in Australia? I don't think there's really any firm policy on this sort yeah, of... Yeah, still a couple of 14-hour yep. flights away. Yeah, mm. yep. Okay, and so let me ask you guys, and I'll start with you, Jack, where do you think we should, as a, as a nation, as Australia, where do you think we should go? What direction and... I guess a timeline. What should we be looking at? Oh, I don't know, actually. Um, like Jack's now the Prime Minister. Yes. Yes. You're in charge. Listen, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like, given Australia is so large, I think having a large selection of petrol, diesel, hybrid, electric, fuel cell, all of those, giving us the option right now would be good. I don't know if I have a time frame in my head and I don't know what at this stage, what would suit best for Australia? My, my partner has a, a Tesla Model 3 and he can do a lot of traveling around Australia in that, but that's not the best solution for everyone. And as a, it's a really, really complicated well, How does topic. it work with your Tesla at the moment? So your family's farm is what, four hours from Melbourne where yeah. we are now? Yep. How does it work when you take the Tesla? Yeah, so uh, we have to charge up, it's yeah, four hours away, halfway to Adelaide. And we just for, for safety's sake, we charge up in Ballarat just to, to have that peace of mind. And how long does and, that take roughly? Um, 15, 20 minutes, half oh, an it's hour. It's, just, it's like yep. a top up. It yeah, is, yeah. Um, but then once we get to the farm, we don't have enough to turn around and come back. <laughs> so we've like reached the point of no return and we have to charge up just with a PowerPoint out there. And that takes 15, 20 hours or less than. It all kind of depends how much we charge up um, at Ballarat and to then do the reverse on the way back <laughs> to Melbourne. So it's a bit of a process, but it's not the end of the world. I think you're onto something really clever there because although car, like we don't make cars in Australia anymore, so whatever technology comes, we're taking it. We don't have a choice. But I think car makers are going to start seeing Australia as a mix of somewhere like Europe and the US, which are going electric, and then somewhere maybe like South Africa where the market's not quite as developed, there's less infrastructure and we still need diesel and petrol. And they don't have consistent electricity, which, well, is, that as well. which yeah, is a yeah, real problem. Which, depending on where you are in yeah. Australia, is also an issue. Yes. Um, yeah, I think we sit somewhere in the middle and 
provided there are some brands still offering options for people who need to go long distances, tow big, heavy things with diesel power, we're in a pretty good spot. Cool. Well, uh, I'd like to know what you guys at home think about this. Do you think that we should be sticking with diesel? Do you think we should be phasing it out? Do you think we should be having a stronger push towards electric? Leave a comment, let us know. Uh, we'll move on to the next topic now, Jack. Uh, you've been away on a few launches recently. Yeah, I've been around town, up, down, yeah. turn me around. <laughs> oh, it feels like for the last little bit. I'm finally back in the office for the first time in a little bit. You yeah. say that like you didn't come in complaining this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've frequented the Melbourne Airport quite a few times the last couple of weeks. But there's one particular one I'd like to talk about. Uh, it's the Volkswagen T-Rock City Life you went to drive in, in Sydney City last week. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the T-Rock the City Life is a, a new special edition if that's what you want to call it. It's very conceptually similar uh, the Tig to the Tiguan um, or Space Adventure where it's a special edition that's going to be last uh, on, uh, in the range for a few months. It's got, uh, this uh, T-Rock City Life will be offered into 2024, so it's not going away um, anytime soon. But uh, this new T-Rock variant forms as a new entry-level variant to the range at, at the enticing price of 36,990. Drive away, reading my review That's from my head. Directly out of a, a Volkswagen commercial, <laughs> the enticing price. Hashtag <laughs> yeah. not sponsored. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, this undercuts the existing style, which recently um, got a few spec upgrades. Um, so this is the complete bone, bare stock, like whatever entry level point. Given we're talking about the T-Rock, that's a kind of new Volkswagen name. Where does it actually fit in the context of the range? Is it a Golf replacement? Is it Tiguan sized? Yeah, so it's technically a, like a golf based SUV. It, the platform it's based on is Mark 7 Golf. So, right, it's so not, the last one. Oh, yeah, so it's the old, old one. Yeah, yep. okay. So it sits in between the T Rock, this is, sits in between the T Cross, which is what Volkswagen now dubs the entry level point to the range, not yeah, the, the jacked up yeah, Polo. The polo. Yeah. And then um, uh, the Tiguan is just that bit larger yeah. than the T uh, Rock. Yeah. So, City Life in the name, very much. Uh, what they're aiming at with this. Um, the thing that, and we'll come back to the, the, city, the city life, I just wanted to make a, a point here of uh, Volkswagen also unveiled the new Tiguan, the next generation Tiguan, yeah. and it looks exactly like the T-Rock as far as I'm concerned. We'll put them side by side on the screen now. Um, having just spent a few days with a T-Rock and then seeing the new Tiguan, how did you feel about it? I have to somewhat disagree, just a, a smidge. I don't think they look necessarily identical. I think the Tiguan definitely looks, the new Tiguan that is, looks a lot like the ID4. Mm, I totally it's agree. round, sort of ambiguous. Yeah. It is an SUV. <laughs> yes, it is I that. Don't know yes. if I'm, it's about I'm the biggest four and a half metres worth of car. Yes, and yeah. it has five seats. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. uh, the interesting thing, and we just spoke about how Volkswagen dropped uh, diesels. There is no other engine options. It's just a petrol engine with it, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we know at this stage. Yeah. So yeah, Volkswagen in Europe has done uh, some pretty advanced plug-in hybrids on the new Tiguan. You can get a hundred k's of range. It's got DC fast charging. And VW initially, sort of late last year, early this year from memory, said that we'd get that in Australia. It's now said we're only going to get two petrol engine options. They make 150 and 195 kilowatts. Uh, it seems that Volkswagen thinks the market has gone past plug-in hybrids. It also could be down to the fact they're going to struggle to get them from Europe. It might be a combination of the two. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> so conflicting results, um, and especially, and we'll touch on this later in the podcast, uh, another major manufacturer disagrees completely with that, <laughs> yes. uh, but we will get to that. Uh, so just on the city life, how was it actually driving around town in that thing? Well, it's funny because the city is where it feels the most 
relevant and best where it would be to drive. Um, technically, it only has a, a torsion beam a rear suspension, so it's less sophisticated than a, a multi-link setup, uh, which you can get in the, the higher spec T-Rox. But I couldn't tell that it was torsion beam. It was really, really comfortable. It handled all speed bumps and pimply city roads like nothing. And I think that's also due to the fact that it has um, smaller 17-inch alloy wheels with a really chubby tie. So it's really soft and supple uh, in urban environments. There you go, Volkswagen. Feel free to use that. Soft and supple. <laughs> the new uh, T-Rock City Life. Um, 1.4 litre petrol, 110 kilowatts, 250 newton metres. This is a base engine, but in my experience, basic Volkswagen engines punch above their weight. They rip a little engines, aren't They're they? They're great, yeah. yeah. I love that engine. Um, Lockie, my partner, had it in his Golf before he stepped up to the Model 3, and it was a, it's, it is, it continues to be a fantastic engine. Uh, apparently, it's almost um, 12 years old now, but it's still a fantastic engine torque uh, all the torque is available from 1500 revs so like you you put your foot down it's just it's there and ready to effortless, go effortless really yeah. effortless and super economical as well across my testing with the T-Rock City Life, um, which included a lot of city and like outer suburbs and a bit of spirited driving too, just for, for so measure. So to translate from motoring journalists speak, spirited driving means? Um, gunning it through, uh, <laughs> <laughs> through some twisty turns uh, in a national park just on the outskirts of Sydney for that particular launch. But yeah, I um, averaged six litres per 100 k's, which is under the claim from memory, I think it's 6.3. Um, but I've experienced that engine in a whole heap of Volkswagen group cars and you, you see a lot of fives and maybe even like low uh, high fours if you're really really hyper miling it on the freeway too. Okay so it's a good thing so would you say out of looking at the smaller Volkswagen groups would you say T-Rock's actually kind of pick of the bunch now or would you still be more inclined to look at either a Golf or a Tiguan? I would that's a tricky question I don't know exactly but I think I have a friend that's currently looking for a small SUV and I was pointing them towards the T-Rock. I don't know if I'd go for it myself because I think I want just that little bit more size. I didn't love the second row. I thought it was a tiny little bit cramped. The boot was fine, but I think just having that peace of mind and extra space, I'd be going for maybe a Tiguan, or if I had to choose, I would want, I'd want a Golf Wagon, but okay. I can't get it you anymore. You can't get that, as so, we spoke about recently. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what about you? Where would you land? I'd have one over a Golf. Yep. Um, the new Golf looks much flashier inside and outside. It's got that really incredible dual screen setup, but I find it harder to use. I also think the new Golf is expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, Volkswagen has just killed the base model in Australia, so we've now only got a more expensive starter. When you look at what you get in the T-Rock, with the exception of some safety equipment I know you've mentioned in your review, you get pretty much everything, but it just feels a bit more conventional and I think it's priced better. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we'll put a link in the description to Jack's uh, T-Rock City Life review if you want to read it. Uh, leave a comment and tell him how good of a rider he is. Uh, I do have a quick question for you guys. Uh, I know I struggle to find time to really do anything outside of work. How about you? Do you have much time? Even at work sometimes. Even at work. <laughs> do you have much spare time out Not outside? Heap, no. no. So how would you find time to make it to different car dealers? If you want to look for a couple of different cars, would you be able to actually have time to do that? Uh, I think I'd struggle. And I actually know from trying to help family members, these dealers aren't open on Sundays for the most part. No. So the one day I do have to play with usually, you can't do it. Well, thankfully, uh, online they are open 24-7. And we have a great way to actually help you find a deal on a brand new car. Head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert, and we can take all the hassle out of travelling around to dealerships. We've put it all in one very convenient place. You'll see some great pictures of Paul, and he can help you 
find a new car, lock in a great price, and connect you to a dealer to get that into your new car quicker. So head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert, and if you do buy a car through there, uh, leave a comment, let us know what did you buy and how was the experience. Uh, okay, so big news this week, guys. Uh, Ford did what we've all been expecting for a while now and announced a hybrid Ranger. Uh, but it wasn't just a hybrid Ranger like Toyota have said a hybrid highlight. But not a hybrid highlight. This is yeah. actually a hybrid. It is a full plug-in hybrid Ranger. Um, details are still a little murky. We're not sure what specs it's going to come on yet. We're not sure pricing. Uh, but Scott, tell us what we do know. What do we know about it? So we know it's going to be here in 2025, here being Australia. We know it's got about 45 k's of electric range, and we know it's got a 2.3 litre petrol engine under the bonnet, which is shared with Mustang, old Focus RS, kind of, and then the Volkswagen Amarok. And it's a ripper engine. It's a great Amarok. little engine, yeah. Beyond that, we don't know a heap, but we do know that Ford has focused on making it still have the same capability as a diesel Ranger which means it should be comfortable off-road, it's going to be able to tow, and it's going to have a decent payload. Well, they're talking 700 Newton metres. Which is a that. heap of torque. Mm. It's more than you get even from the V6. I think the challenges they're going to face, and maybe part of the reason we haven't heard more about exact payload and towing figures, is weight. Mm. Obviously, when you add a big battery, you add a couple of hundred kilos of weight, and that then potentially comes out of the payload or the gross combined mass, which is relevant to the towing capacity, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to see how Ford manages to balance the electric capability with what you would expect of a ute. But based on what we can see, it's sort of a halfway house between something like the mild hybrid Hilux and then a fully electric ute like a Silverado EV designed to be the best of both worlds. I'm not sure I actually want it, though. Mm. I'm curious to know your thoughts. I, um, I kind of see this from the perspective of my dad, who's a farmer. If, I've already spoken about it, but I'm from a farm. <laughs> You're from a farm, Jack. Uh, yeah, funnily <laughs> enough. Um, he's always talking about going off-grid, and he loves right. the, the, the fact of he wants to put up solar panels, battery packs, and I think having a plug-in hybrid Ranger or something along the like, he, he always says, oh, Jack, I want an F-150 Lightning, <laughs> because he'd be able to use the battery pack as a, like a a vehicle to, to home, to load whatever, to power whatever he needs out doing whatever he's doing. Let's say you're building a fence, you got an angle grinder or something. You, yeah. You don't have to have a noisy diesel clattering away, mm -hmm. so that'd be a nice change. Do we think 45 kilometres is going to be enough for the average ute buyer to actually use the electric power properly? Because that's always my problem with plug-in hybrids. You're always carrying around the battery and you're always carrying around the petrol engine but it's rare you're actually using both to their full capability. I think that depends on how they tune it, right? I know recently I spent some time in an Escape plug-in hybrid and it was not very good. In terms of a plug-in hybrid... It's also going from it's Australia now, it's been yes, rooted. thankfully. Um, it, it was terrible, it just didn't use its, its electric capability very well compared to something like an Outlander where it can actually... It feels like an electric car when you... Yeah. Yeah. So I think that depends on how they tune this thing, right? Yeah, I, I, I feel quite similarly. I imagine a lot of ranger owners currently load their rangers up to the wazoo and they're towing a whole heap of whatever. I, I'm wondering if it will ever be able to use the electric motor, or if that'll be enough to get things actually moving and if it'll be considerably less than 45Ks and then what is the point besides being a, a mobile um, power station? What I can think of is, I mean, you talk 700 Newton metres. If you are towing a three and a half tonne boat or caravan or whatever it is, having electric power off the line is going to make it significantly easier to get it up boat ramps and get it off the mark because that is obviously where electric motors do their best work. 
Uh, I think it's also going to be interesting off-road. What we've seen from some of these off-road utes is that they can use their electric motors to do things like tank turns and sort of have crazy torque vectoring. Mm. I wonder if Ford is going to lean into that with the electric motor in the Ranger and actually give it more ability off-road than the petrol has. That or the sounds diesel. like a, a Raptor Fev to it me. It does yes. sound like a Raptor Fev. <laughs> yes. Well, look, Ford aren't the only ones playing this game. Uh, LDV have their fully electric T60. There's also a new LDV four-wheel drive ute coming to Australia next year, I'm which sure is fantastic. Way too expensive. It's called as well. the GST in China. Yeah, right. There's been oh, a lot yes, of that. Right. You can actually buy one here. Um, I think that's the problem, though. The T60 is as near as makes a difference. One hundred thousand dollars. Best guess on this Ranger is probably going to be up around that sort of price as well. Given a wild track spot, 75 or 80. Exactly, yeah. Platinum's 85. Um, you know, uh, Chevy have their electric uh, Silverado, as you mentioned. Yep. Ram have one. Ford have their F-150 Lightning. So this is a thing and it is coming. I'm curious from you guys, I know neither of you are tradies, but do you think there is actually a, a future, a, a solid future in electric utes or do you think that the ute will die when the diesel dies? This comes back to the conversation we had at the start about fit for purpose. There are definitely people where a diesel only ute is the only option. But if you really think about what most people do with their utes around Melbourne, where we all are, and around the capital cities in Australia, yes, some of them go into the wilderness on the weekend and tow, but there are plenty that just go from work site to work site in the city and barely go above 40 k's an hour. So I think it comes back to the diversity of options. There's plenty of people which, yeah, an electric ute makes a heap of sense, but we just need to keep a diesel option there as well in case you, you know, need to go further. What about you, Jack? Well, I think a lot of like lower spec uh, fair utes would make a, a lot of sense, um, especially in like when they're just sitting there for a mobile power station. A lot of the similar reasons that I described that my, my dad would want it. I, I find it really interesting that uh, Ford has only chosen to show off a dual cab version. I think it'd be cool to see if it's possible. I don't know whether it would be, whether a single cab mm. fev would be really cool. That really entry level, and I don't know if that's possible or would it be financially viable given Ford wants to recuperate well, the cost. It does do a very basic version of the F-150 Lightning in the US. It's sort of aimed at, yeah, people mm. who want to use this for work, not for play. Well, every um, every council you see, every council worker, they're all driving around in what's essentially a workmate yeah. version of the F-150s and over there. They're also the people, uh, when I say them, the council workers, fleet drivers, that sort of thing. They're the people that actually probably right now electric and plug-in hybrid power is best suited to because they know exactly what they're going to do every day. Well, also they have to. There's a lot of push for government agencies to actually reduce their emissions and the obvious reduction of emissions is to move into something that is hybrid which there isn't an option and so I guess that's the thing the T60 being $100,000 is not a viable option for councils to fit out their their crews with not for all councils no, no. but if you have a Ranger XL in single cab or even crew like a super cab version with Fev they the guys could sit all, there all day with their stop slow signs, you know, <laughs> running on electric power. They still have their tunes going. Their pie warmer will still work. It'll work better, it'll I would work say. Better. But they're, they're not going to have to run around in a diesel all day. I mean, it, it does seem kind of crazy that, and again, we're talking dual cab, they marketed with what looked a lot like a wild track. Yep. Why we're not seeing this push from them to, to lower end utes for this sort of stuff? It's all down to money. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, a Ranger wild track or a Toyota Hilux SR5 or a Navara Pro Forex, all of those top spec utes, they are a license to print money for car makers because ultimately underneath it's a ladder frame chassis vehicle. It's got some nicer leather and materials in it, but it's built by the same people in Thailand as the cheap ones. And the cost to make it look and feel nice is much lower than you, know, you would expect. There's just huge profit margins in them. So 
if they're trying to recoup the cost of these batteries and, and that sort of thing, the development going in, they're going to go to the higher end where the margins are so fat they're not getting cut completely. All right, so question to you guys. Would you rather a Fev ute or a fully electric ute? I'm going fully electric. Fully electric, Jack? I want full electric because I know in Victoria right now with a road user charge, you have mm. to pay to use the petrol engine or whatever oh, engine. the hybrid, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah with the, so hybrid. regardless of whether you're using electric power or petrol power, like I just go all electric in that sense. I don't really get the point. I kind of hate that law or rule. That's very silly. I do see you in a Hummer EV though. I can oh. definitely see you getting around to one of them. <laughs> How many times would he have to charge on the way to the farm in his 4.5 oh. ton Hummer yes. use? But he could load his Jimny in the back and oh. take it with him. So. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll move on. Uh, we're very close to the end here. Um, we're going to talk about our picks of the week. So I'll throw straight to Jack as he's our special guest. What did you see this week that caught your eye, mate? Yeah, so throwing it back to the 1980s, setting the scene. Um, you might... <laughs> <laughs> and how many decades after the 1980s? Were, were any of us born in the <laughs> 1980s? I think I was the closest. There you go. <laughs> Jack so, was yeah. definitely the furthest away. Um, Honda had this really cool foldable scooter that went into the back of a little hatchback called the City, which was new at the time. It was called the Moto Compo. And um, you see a lot of them around at like cars and coffee uh, sh uh, shows and things like that, where people get them out and go for a little zip around. It was around. essentially a, a suitcase with a motorcycle inside, right? Essent yes, absolutely. So Honda has chosen to reinvent that for the modern day. It's called the Moto Compacto, and it is an all-electric version of this. It's like a revival of sorts, retro more than anything, um, of this original Moto Compo from the 1980s. And it looks very cool to me. It also, it folds in. Um, when it does, it looks a little bit like a MacBook charger. <laughs> um, it's just a, a, a white square, but then it all um, pulls out. There's a, a handlebars seat and the wheels all come out and things like that. Um, it's very similar to like, it's just an e-scooter essentially. It has um, around about 20 Ks of range and a, a top speed of about 25 k's an hour. So you're not gonna be going anywhere quickly or very far, but it's enough that's a, a really viable last mile solution. And um, unfortunately, this one hasn't been designed around a car this time. It's just being sold alongside the electric SUVs and only in the US for uh, now. Disappointing. So, that said, there is seems to be quite a vendetta against electric scooters in this country, which is, a real shame, but um, you know, you never know, Jack. We'll, we'll put on your Christmas wish list, and one day it might I'm be fulfilled. I'm going to think really hard, yeah. and hopefully <laughs> yeah. it happens. All right, Scott, what's your pick of the week? Uh, not even remotely close to what Jack's was. <laughs> not uh, an electric scooter. How no, funnily enough, but it does have Eco in the name. Uh, it's Thailand's Super Eco, and it's a racing series that has popped up on my Instagram which is a whole lot of basic Suzuki and Honda hatchbacks by the looks of it, going absolutely flat out around a track. At one point, they're five wide. Uh, and the commentators, I don't actually speak Thai, so I don't know what they're saying, but they sound really, really excited. <laughs> um, Ty Martin Brundle and Ty David Croft <laughs> yes. screaming. I'm assuming at some point one of them goes through, goes Hamilton yes. very excitedly. Uh, I want to do something like that. It looks like low-cost, affordable motorsport, and it has eco in the name, which means we can get funding. Oh, well, I might have something uh, for the weekend. Yes. Um, uh, very, yeah, very told cheap me about version. Your plans. Yes. Um, so keep an eye out, subscribe, <laughs> and we may, you might see us go very cheap racing. Uh, my pick of the week, uh, this is a big shout-out to some Swiss... Uh, German-speaking uh, university students uh, from ETH Zurich. They built their own little electric car. It kind of looks like halfway between a Formula Ford and a go-kart. 
with the intention to break the world record to go from zero to 100. It might as well be break their own ribs and ruin their internal yes. organs. It's that oh. fast. So the previous record was 1.4 odd seconds. Slow. That's, oh. that's, look, <laughs> that is stone age compared to what these what guys. What are you doing? These guys set out uh, zero, to zero to 100 in zero. <laughs> 0.956 seconds. Starts with zero. Starts with zero. It's more than half a second quicker than the previous record. This is a proper record as well. This is it's not a Guinness that, World Record. It's yeah. not that US thing they do where you have a one foot rollout or anything yes. like that. Where, where Bugatti sets a record and then they go, no, but we went faster. Yeah, you just, exactly. we, we weren't filming. So there's no rollout, there's no cheating, there's no way to make the machine, you know, look or feel better. It just is standing still and then snap your fingers and it's doing 100. Yeah, it is. It's insane. Out of this world. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, the, the girl who drove it, she took a helmet off and her skin was all peeled back here. <laughs> I think it's settled back now. But, um, the wind will yes. blow and she'll yes. stay like that. Yes. Uh, it was, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal thing to watch. So I think that's really cool. That we're not going to see that in a road car anytime soon, but I think it's really cool that there are people out there pushing the boundaries to to break those sort of limits. You know, it's something that they did in the 50s and the 60s and it sort of died off. I wanna know what needs to happen now to go faster. Because at, like we have now reached a point where there's not much faster you can go, I short mean, of teleporting. There's no, there was no rocket. This is purely an electric motor and like very powerful. Um, uh, with a skeleton the, made of steel. The car with the person weighed 180 kilograms. Wow. So the oh. only thing you could do is lessen the weight and I, I suppose bigger enthusiasm. <laughs> a positive yes, attitude gets you a long way yes. of vibes. Yes. Uh, well, that pretty much wraps up the podcast this week. Jack, thanks so much for filling in for Jade this week. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you again, Sean. And uh, Scott, any final thoughts you want to leave us with this week? No, not really. Um, if you think you can go from zero to 100 faster than that, please call us. I want to drive yes. your car. Yes, write to us at I'm a lunatic at carexpert.com.au. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, if you do have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. Uh, let, send us an email, podcast at carexpert.com.au. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe, give us a like, leave a comment. Uh, and uh, next week, Jade will be back. Uh, just a reminder as well, we, there's a link in the description for the event that Jade is putting on in Melbourne here. Uh, you get tickets, they are free. And you're going to see a few of these guys there and a few pretty cool new cars. So make sure you get your tickets for that. Uh, until next week, guys. Jack, thanks for coming along. Scott, as always, good to have you here. And thank all of you for joining us. We'll see you next week.